I guess how uh, American culture is worse than Canaanite culture because at least they understood that she needed to get married to him. All right. Well, a few issues there. The relationship between sex and marriage or between man and woman and them having sex but not getting married and then what happens in relationship to the son and the daughter in relation to their own parents, whether they have parental involvement with the prospective marriage. And how what the Shechemites did was better and is better than what Americans do. Because Americans flaunt sexuality and they have no intentions of marriage in many cases. And then they make independent decisions devoid of any consultation from their parents when they should have the blessing of their parents whenever they contract a marriage. All right, yes, biblically speaking, how should we view this? Okay, in terms of them having a better theology or better morality, better view of marriage and sex than we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, and you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. The apostle confronts the Corinthians because there was a man who was committing immorality, adultery, with his father's wife. This man was in the church, and yet the Corinthians didn't do anything about it. They were arrogant, he says in verse 2, when they should have been repentant and pleading with the man to repent, and if he does not repent, to remove him from the church, the local church, which it says in verse 13, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. This is a Christian or a professing Christian in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 5, 11, but I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. So-called brother. If he's behaving wickedly in the church, he's so-called brother. He's not a true brother. He's not giving visible confirmation that he's a true brother. How is it that Gentiles, those outside the church, don't do that, but we do it? How is it that the Shechemites, Genesis 34, they understood that even after wrong occurs, that there should be marriage between the man and the woman. They should both marry and have a family life in marriage or a sexual fulfillment in marriage. They knew that. And what they did was noble, or their desire was noble to be married. How is it that we don't know that? How is it that Christians don't know it? That's how perverse the culture has become in modern culture. Then, in reference to sex being only in marriage, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Several sexual sins are there mentioned in verse 9. Fornication, which is any sexual deviancy outside of marriage. Then adultery, which is when the spouses are married and they have sex with someone not the spouse. The effeminate and homosexuals, two types of homosexuality or sodomy. These are sexual sins that are not permitted by Christians. It says the unrighteous do those things in verse 9, and they will not go to heaven. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 10. They need to repent, as some of them did in verse 11. Some used to do those things. Further, he describes sexual immorality in verses 12 to 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality or fornication, sexual immorality. It's not for that, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says, the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. In chapter 5, he started by saying he is appalled that this sexual sin does not even happen among the Gentiles, but it's happening in the Christian church, in the local church. Then he says repeatedly that they should know better. If Gentiles, unbelievers, idolaters know better, why don't we know better? They know because they're living up to their conscience, the natural law or the law written on the heart, Romans 2, 12 to 16, especially Romans 2, 14 to 16. God has put his law on the heart of every human, even unbelieving, idolatrous, pagan humans. They know the difference between right and wrong. Even the sins they know, the difference between them, because he has put his commandments, his Ten Commandments, on their heart. He rebukes us many times. Look at chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know? Chapter 6, verse 2. Do you not know? Chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know? Chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know? Chapter 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? 
Why don't we know? And act on what we know to be right. Then he describes in chapter 7 what's right in terms of sexuality. Verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1, 1 to 5. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities or because of fornications, because of sexual sins, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He tells us in the first couple of verses that because of immoralities, fornications, sexual sins, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Which means if the preceding passage teaches us against every other sexual sin, those sins are damnable sins. They lead to hell. No one inherits the kingdom of God by practicing those sins and saying, I'm a Christian, and then practicing those sins at the same time. It's impossible. So if it's impossible, what should we do? We should understand even more than unbelievers that we should be married. And then once we're married, the husband's body belongs to the wife and the wife's body belongs to the husband. And they should come together regularly except if they're going to pray and devote their attention to the things of God temporarily, lest they lose control and fall into sexual sin even in marriage, which they should not do. It should be in marriage and marriage alone. The Bible does not conceive or approve of any kind of sex unless it's in marriage. Only then. Then, as regards the, the involvement of the parents in this, there, there is no one scripture that says, you shall consult your parents before you marry. But think about the implications of some scriptures. Abraham and his servant were certainly the ones in charge of finding a wife for Isaac. Correct? Um, In the case of honoring your father and your mother, obeying them, how is it honorable to marry someone that your parents are adamantly opposing? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean the parents know everything and have the right perspective and the right values. But at least the son and the daughter should be seeking their parents' approval. And if they do raise concerns, the sons and the daughters should not be immediately dismissing those concerns. For example, if a daughter wants to marry a man and the man is lazy, he doesn't work, he doesn't want to work, he doesn't earn an income, he doesn't earn enough income. Let's say he's a drunkard also. Or let's say 
He's a smoker, a serial smoker. Well, obviously, in those ways, he's going to commit those sins. If he's doing it before marriage, the chances are very high he's going to do it after marriage to the daughter. To the daughter. And therefore, if the parents say, daughter, I know you like him. I know you love him. I know you have affection for him. But this is a, a glaring uh, moral defect in him. He doesn't work or he doesn't make enough. He doesn't care about supporting himself. How is he going to care about supporting you? Or if they say, well, he's not a believer. Then all the more, if the daughter claims to be a believer, then he should be a believer. Right? When they raise concerns like that, then the sons and the daughters should take those concerns seriously, examining whatever their comments are by Scripture. That would be a way of honoring the parents. However, if the parents say, listen, daughter, he has a job that only makes sixty or $70,000, and you need to find a husband who makes two hundred or $300,000 or who's a millionaire and only marry a man like that. When they start saying things like that, then you know they are crossing or contradicting Scripture, and their concern is materialism and love of money rather than living a modest and simple life with a man who's minding his own business, going faithfully to work, bringing home his um, income to provide for his family. If he's making only sixty or 70000 doing that, that's a lot better than marrying a millionaire jerk, a millionaire drunkard, a millionaire unbeliever, right? So on the one hand, they should, the parents should be consulted, but on the other hand, if the son and daughter are believers, they need to think about what their parents are saying and act accordingly based on Scripture.